All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We're talking to Tyler Knight about sports-specific return to play. He works with Charlotte FC. He's been awarded uh, Athletic Training Staff of the Year with the MLS. He is married to his beautiful wife, Hope. They have a golden golden doodle, and they are currently working on having kids as they've He'll share some of his story, maybe throughout or maybe on some of the series, uh, as I've struggled with the infertility and IVF and things like that. Now, he also mentioned when we kind of had our little pre-conference that they are debt-free. They paid off their house, their school loans. Their, uh, I think they said the house, the, the school loans, everything like that. And I, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I'm a huge fan of Dave Ramsey and paying off your debt, being completely free, because me and my wife have been 100% debt-free for two years, uh, and it is just amazing the things that you have the opportunities to do and the, the freedom that you have when you don't have any sort of payment. So definitely something to work towards. But this time, we're again, we're talking about sports-specific RTPs. So this one is sports uh, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash soccer-specific RTP. Again, soccer-specific RTP. Tyler, welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, and thanks for reaching out. Thank you for having me on. I'm I'm pumped to join you, uh, talk about this a bit, and ultimately learn from you and and learn from others. Because um, I, I'll be the first to say I'm not always the the smartest guy in the room, but I'm definitely driven to learning about how other people are approaching problems, creating solutions, um, and then trying to find ways to make that practical in, in our setting. So um, I'm pumped, and a big thank you to our high performance team. Adam, Pete, Baker, Kareem, John, everybody for all the work and and also uh, creating time for me to be here. So um, I'm I'm pumped to share some some time with you. All right, very good. So tell me, is the the house is paid for? Everything, hundred percent debt free? Just uh, just student loans. So um, it, my my secret is marry a pharmacist. Um, <laughs> She, my, my wife is a pharmacist. She is my sugar mama. We always joke about that. She, she loves reminding me that she has the only PhD in the household and um, she brings home the bacon as, as we like to say, but we were, we were very fortunate that similar to many, we sold our house in, in Utah, given a cross country move at the right time and um, thankful for some support and good guidance in our life. And we're able to wipe out uh, all the stress and chaos that is student loans. So we're, we're very thankful and grateful for that. Now, now we're going to travel until we, uh, until we have kids <laughs> as work allows. As work, Of course. Of course. Yeah. Long, longest season in pro sports. We take advantage of the time we get. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So then you got to make some other work trips, you know, all right. Hey, why don't you just join me as we're going to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you got connections down there, let me know. I'm I'm happy to to volunteer no, and donate some time. You're supposed to have this. <laughs> All right. I do know that they do like the Christian sports medicine has like uh missionary trips like during the summer usually. And you know, they're always looking for athletic trainers. They go to some places like Dominican and things like that, but you know, you can check that out. All right. Okay. So we're talking about soccer specific rehab exercises. So let's start off with the worst. What should we just throw out the window right off the bat? Oh man, um, I'd say, and this is all in context, right? It, it's anything in isolation. the The funny part when you think about soccer specific rehab is 
the thing that's the most soccer specific is soccer, right? Uh, but every component of rehab has its place. So depending on the length of injury, yeah, straight leg raises and knee extensions are probably great. But I remember one of the things that I took the most from my undergrad at the University of Alabama was train movement, not muscles. So can we can we break an athlete's movement down, try to work through some of the things that we can fine tune? I think as clinicians and and even just professionals in the sports industry, we always, with the best intentions, we come up with this grand scheme or idea that we're gonna we're gonna fix the way these athletes move. And, and in a lot of ways, they're they're professional athletes because of the the way they move. Yeah, there's things that you can fine tune here and there, and and that's what we try to shift our focus to. Or are there small things that we can make gradual changes and gradual bumps to, to ultimately make them move better on the soccer pitch. Because if, if what we're doing in the physio room, the athletic training room, even in the gym and, and on the side prior to players returning to training, if it's not complimenting what they're doing when they get back, then then there's no point in it. So for us, the biggest thing is always remembering your why. So if you're doing something and it is in isolation or maybe the, the athletes like, I don't, I don't really get how this translates. If you've got a why and you've got a reason as to what you're doing, it you can break everything else out from there. So two things I, I really like the saying you just said train movements, not muscles. That's really good to just remember. As I've been um, a preceptor for my for the U of H M A T program, <clears throat> one of the things I kind of continue to work with them is like, hey, if we got an ankle sprain, we have to work on the ankle, but we also have to work on the quads. We have to work on the hamstrings. We have to on the, work on the glutes. We have to work on the core. You have to work the whole the whole system, and it also keeps you from overtraining one thing, and you know that way you have a lot of different variation. <clears throat> but way back when I started the podcast, I talked with a chiropractor, and that was whenever you know I was still young, and I thought, okay, well, chiropractors are dumb. Chiropractors don't know what they're doing. Chiropractors don't belong <laughs> in sports, right? And then this guy came in and it's like, you know, hey, one of the things that we always do is make sure that our patients, if we if you were to meet them in the parking lot and you would say, hey, what's the plan for what's going next? What are you going to do next? Or what's the plan for going home? Then they would be able to know. And it's like, man, that's what we need. I I need to be able to explain to the kids, hey, this is what we're doing. So for me, I always take my hand and I say, okay, well, you need to be able to walk pain-free and then you can jog and then you can run and then you can practice. And this running includes forwards, backwards, left and right, stopping and starting. And then you can return to playing. That's kind of yeah. what we're walking through. That's the steps we're walking through. So I love the remember your why, right? So you've got to go through all those steps. And that's that's what I use because it works really well for here for the high school kids. But And it's such, such a good thing that you use something similar. You just, why are you doing this? It's got the, the athletes got to know where you're going. So very good. And even in the gym, I, I think in soccer, especially the the culture, I think is slowly shifting, but the gym is not considered home for, for many athletes. But if you can reason as to why, if you take a guy, hamstring strains are our most common injury, despite all the resources, time, data we're pouring into trying to understand why this continues to happen. If a guy can't run yet, and you're doing other things to address his his ESD or his energy system development, and, and you're working on the lower body in ways that you can, there are movements that we can do. If you think of kinetic chain in the gym, um, to, to get a distal, um, activation for proximal strength. So, I mean, as, as simple as anything that are push pull movements, especially pull for your posterior chain, upper body to assist with your lower body pulling there's, there's those benefits, but if we don't educate athletes as to, Hey, you're doing this, this rapid, um, pull movement combined with a plyometric leg movement, 
that doesn't stress whatever tissues that injured, they're they're going to say, why why am I in here doing a, a pull up with a band and then hopping on the Pilates machine and, and doing explosive leg presses? Like it, it doesn't make sense to me. But if you can kind of tie some of those components together and like we said, go back to your why, the buy-in is is so so much more improved. I, I know I said it a lot of times with the podcast is something that really benefits me because it's all the little small pieces, you know, and that's one of the things that I've learned in these conversations is my kids will look down at their toes when they're doing their balancing or when they're just even doing walking practice. I'm like, you don't look down at your feet when you're walking in basketball. Look up, look up. Right? Yeah. So then it, it just rem- it reminds them to do that there. So again, remember your why and just all the small things like it needs to be, it needs to apply and they need to understand why they're doing it. Right. So yes, you're not going to be doing a yep. backflip and flipping basketball. We're not going to be doing a backflip in here. It's just, you know, <laughs> anything else we need to cover there on the really not sport specific rehab. The the other thing that I'd always say, yeah, the, the other thing I'd always say is get creative. Um, I mean, you're talking about balance. If, if you've, if you're working on a simple balance exercise, no matter what sport you're in, incorporate the ball. Um, because we, we always think, um, tissue and sometimes it falls into isolation, but we forget about the mental processing that athletes have to go and perform when they're on the field. So can you add external stimulus? Um, give me the, I mean, we have fit lights that I'm still working on, on being able to use much more proficiently, but there's a lot of things that you can do with balance, um, incorporating other random stimuli. So, so not only are players having to mentally process everything else that's going on, but they're also working on the physical component and that feedback and feed forward loops just get so much more fine tuned. All right. So one of the things we we kind of mentioned it was specifically on field soccer RTP. And so at this point, we're probably late stage. I mean, maybe you have them out there early, early stage. I'm not sure. Um, but I know whenever I went to uh, Charleston this summer and visited my sister, Bobby uh, works out there with the Charleston battery. And so we song, we yeah. song by, but he was out there at practice and he didn't like, it's weird for me as a high school athletic trainer, if you came out, to the field, I would just, you know, walk over there and talk to you, you know, during football practice or whatever it is. But he stayed there like in the middle of the field. He wasn't able to come over and talk to me. And it's just interesting the the difference. Um, so real quick, if I was to come out there and stand outside the fence and watch the Charlotte FC practice, would you be able to come over and talk to me? Or is, is that like you're too engaged or what's that look like? We're... We're really fortunate that we have four athletic trainers with with Charlotte FC. So if if you're out there, we're and we're not obviously working with an athlete. Um, we're going to take time to come over and and chat. The most important thing that we do in this industry is work with and serve people. It's it's athletes, it's coaches, it's technical staff, front office, sometimes families. And so so not to divert too much, but I I think when we get into this box and bubble sometimes of this is my setting like i'm i'm high and mighty or, or whatever it is we we lose a little bit of the sense of not only the people that helped got us there but the people that we could still learn from um so if you're out at a charlotte fc training we're over there we're talking shop we're seeing how life is going what new things are you doing that that maybe we're not doing that we should start incorporating because the world of sports medicine is evolving so rapidly and obviously games are changing annually at speed of play amount of fixtures um we we have to stay on our toes and if we don't lean on 
other people outside of the, in our case, the four to six people on our high performance team that we work with. I don't know how much better we're getting. Right. And again, hopefully, you know, Bobby, not to throw shade at Bobby. (laughs) It's not about Bobby at all. It's just, you know, it's a different perspective, different situation. And, and he may have been working and watching somebody specifically. So it's nothing at all about Bobby. Bobby was super, he's like, Hey, yeah, if you come at this time, I can give you a tour. I can walk you around the training room. But because I have five kids, we just couldn't get out the door that fast. Right. And so we're like, all right, well, we'll just come and watch practice, wave, say hi. And, you know, we get got to hit the road. So, <clears throat> all right. So looking at on field, so kind of walk me through mm-hmm. some of your your process. Uh, what are the things we need to consider and go from there? I think the the most important thing, and, and I won't spend too much time on this because, as you said, we're at late stage. But to get on field, we have to do the start right. Because if we're fumbling through our rehab early on, if we're pushing athletes unintelligently, then then we're never getting out of the training room, out of the, out of the gym. So we have a, a few rules at, at Charlotte FC that we try to follow. One is create a safe environment for the athlete. Two is don't hurt the athlete. And three is be aggressive without breaking rule one and two. <laughs> so one of the, one of the things that young athletic trainers will always ask me and things that we as a staff and a high performance team go back and f- reflect on often is what are fail safes that we can put in place so we can't move from A to B without having accomplished whatever goal it is. So early on, some of the things that we'll look at and measure, and please never forget to treat the mind. If if guys aren't bought in, if they don't understand the plan, if they don't know where they're going, if expectations haven't been set, the road to recovery and the road to return to performance, not just sport, is so much more difficult. So as long as you've got buy-in, you've adequately planned guys are bought in and you get feedback from them as to things that they would like to see through the rehab, we're set and we're flying. Some of those, those benchmarks that we'll use, we kind of have four categories. It's mobility, stability, function, and power. So are the joints of the affected area as well as around it or the tissue, are those moving? Are the tissues that work in isolation that we can measure to say, hey, you are improving and hopefully you get that little bit of extra mental bump. Are we assessing those? And then functionally, this is the train movement, not muscle. Are there things that we need to see them do in the athletic training room, in the gym, are things that they would like to see themselves do to to get a sense of how whatever it is that they're dealing with feels that continue to bump them and give them more confidence in a secondary setting? something as easy as an FMS or, or a YBT may be adequate, depending on the, the lower extremity injury. You don't need all the tech and data that um, we're fortunate to have. There, there's ways to get creative and then power because ultimately when they get back on the field, they have to be explosive. And they have to be powerful. So kind of once we're out there and we've addressed the clinical side of things, we're always treating the person, not the athlete, making sure they're bought in. The biggest thing that we're looking at is from a position specific t- standpoint, our tactics as a team, what they need to do when they're on the field, and then maybe areas that that they would like to strengthen or, or that, um, you know, feedback from our coaches as well. We're always tightly looped in there. What are these things that we can address? So we're taking their normative values from what their average weekly load is. Load is is the new fancy term in, in performance in general, not just sports medicine, but what is their output? And then how much of that is intensive work? And can we divide that out over days? So if we know the goal that we're we're working towards, we can slowly periodize and progress back to that in a safe but hopefully accelerated fashion. Um, Paul Bradley's come out with some really interesting research that I've just recently become familiar with. I think it 
publishing may have started in 2019 or 2020. And um, he's out of Manchester, I believe, but his whole thing is context is king. So we've got this loading profile. We know how far we want guys to run on a daily and weekly basis, how fast, what kind of change of direction we're going to do. But his point is, how does that apply to the game? So it, he and a few other researcher, researchers have done over the last few years is they've started contextualizing out of a 90-minute match, what are the most common actions that players in specific positions are doing? Because we have a good habit of, all right, we need to cover 5K today. Um, we're going to run in a straight line it, because it's it's easier to think like that, but there's no context to that because very rarely are our professional athletes or athletes in any stage of sport just running in a straight line. So they found that, um, you know, for center backs, the two most common runs are recovery runs or some type of support play. For wingers and strikers, it may have been runs into the box or runs in behind. And obviously all these are occurring um, at angles. So they've got heat maps and it's it's wonderful research. If you haven't looked at it, please go check it out. But they've they've provided more context to, all right, in a match, this guy covers 12K, um, 1500 meters of high speed running and 300 meters of sprint, whatever the arbitrary numbers are. But, but what does he look, what what does he look like doing that? And how much is he walking throughout? So we try to get really nitty gritty and and very fine tuned with, with what we're doing on the field to get guys back to return to performance, not just sport. Because if we, we can run them in a straight line all day until the cows come home and yeah, we may have reduced their risk of hamstring strains because we've appropriately reintroduced intensive um, distance and, and sprint distance, but have we exposed them to um, maybe an adductor injury or um, uh, an, a random glute or hip injury because we haven't worked enough in planes of motion or combining planes of motion. You said recovery runs or the two most common, like you said, support run and recovery run. I think you said for the mid back. Um, so what is the recovery run? Is that just returning to position? Yeah. So if you, if you think about, um, during a match, when, when teams turn over the ball in a, a dangerous part of the field, you're either sprinting to essentially return back to position or cover your space, or you may be tracking a, an opponent who's on the flip side of that is making a run in behind or run into the channel. Um, and what does that look like? And, and again, it goes back to, it's not a straight line run. It's, it's always on an angle. There's a curve to it. So when we're returning guys that are in that late stage return to play, if we need, if we have a drill that's set up for high speed running, let's say maybe it's not position specific. Um, Matt Tabner is another, uh, big name that you'll hear in soccer research. He's got this concept of chaos and control continuum, but we want to start to introduce them to some curve runs. Maybe we build up a 20 meter zone or we lay down a 20 meter zone where they can build their speed. Then we've got a 30 meter zone that they have a time base that they've got to get through it. So we know we're introducing them to the right speed, but in the middle of that, there's cones that they have to make a slight kind of um, weave around or weave through that way. It's, it's not just perfectly straight. And then they obviously have um, deceleration distance. And as that progresses, the curve or the weave gets bigger, their deceleration gets faster. And then there's another action in or out of that. And then you can start to add the ball. So you're, you're slowly moving from a little bit more control as you're progressing to a little bit more chaos. That way, once they're reintroduced into training in the match play, hopefully that, that gap that was there is now significantly reduced. Um, tell me what y'all do to 
know when they're ready to increase that? Is it just a time frame? Is it you're looking at the data, like the speed, uh, you're looking at their movement. So what do y'all do? And then we're going to walk through what I would do as a single athletic trainer at a 6A high school, right? And go from there. Right. The part of this goes back to those four KPIs or key performance indicators that we're, we're looking at. So it's mobility, stability, function, power. Are they back to within an 85 and 90% range of their baseline if we have baseline tests? If not, we're often trying to measure against their um, their contralateral side. So your, your uninjured or unaffected side. That's kind of step one to try to get us and give us confidence to get out of the facility and back onto the pitch. And then from there, it's just slow progressions each day. Uh, this is where kind of reverse engineering comes into play when, when we know, or at least we have an idea of how going back to our, our loading profile, how far guys are running, what their intensity is like while they're doing that speeds, et cetera. We can gradually reintroduce that. Um, we also have this spreadsheet. It's kind of like a prospective loading profile. So if I know a guy covers 20 K in a week, he's been out for a couple of weeks. Can we gradually progress that back in using kind of a, an acute chronic ratio? That way we know what our risk level is because inevitably if a, if somebody has been off the field for one, two, or even more than that, that reintegration period is going to need to be much bigger. So we also kind of have four, I guess, levels of field involvement that you'd consider. So one, two, three, and four. So our level one is essentially we're going out there, we're running in a straight line. We may introduce a little bit of change of direction. And if we can get on the ball, we will, but it's, it's in small spaces relatively in front of you. If you kind of think about a 90 degree angle turn on the side and there's, there's no reaction. And then our level two is we're going to introduce some high speed running, may, maybe introduce a slightly increased level of um, accelerations and decelerations, expand our ball space. So you think about passing distance, striking distance, and this can apply in any setting, baseball, football, et cetera, whatever their sport is. And then maybe we add a little bit of reaction. So instead of just receiving a ball and passing it into a goal, now we've given them a color to that goal. And then our step three is your um, change of direction work and speed increases. We're introducing you to sprint. We're making the work a little bit more reactionary. And now we're starting to tie in some of your, your ball work with your, your on-field running and loading metrics. And our final one is again, progressed off that, but now we're looking at density. So you've sprinted, you've um, working back off of that. You've done your high speed running for us. We look at band three X cells and D cells, which is just really hard. Stop, start and go. Um, now can we start to tie those things in together? Because two of the things outside of obviously technical play, and this is at least in our sport that has shown success for teams as well as individuals is repeated sprint ability. And then some type of, um, explosive metric in small spaces. So over maybe one, three and five minute time intervals. So what are we doing to reintroduce that? Because great, you can sprint in a straight line or, or whatever our drill is, but can you hit that speed multiple times within that kind of one, three or, or five minute block? And it's the same thing for some of those other components that, that we're looking at. So density is always big at the, the end phases of rehabs for us. Are, do, you, do you have metrics of how often your players run backwards? Like backwards? No, that's a, 
That that's a good one. Um, I would be interested. I know at least I'm I'm trying to recollect. I don't even think Paul Bradley and their team have looked at that. Um, but I would I'd be very curious. One of the things that we'll work on in rehab is obviously your your crossover, your drop step, um to shift from obviously facing one direction in the event that you can avoid backpedaling, but I don't think we've got data on that specifically. Yeah, well, I mean, I would think you would not want them to backpedal specifically. In right. soccer. <laughs> like I know in football, you do need to backpedal for those first five, 10 yards, that kind of thing. Um, right. If you're a cornerback, whatever. And so I was just, just curious because obviously you would want them to turn and run rather than backpedaling because it's so much mm-hmm. faster when you run rather than backpedal. But you know, you're just talking about all the different metrics and I'm just thinking through all the other things you're talking about. One of the things that we try to incorporate here is walking forwards and then also walking backwards as we're doing, you know, early stage. Okay, we need mm-hmm. to get them to walk forwards and walk backwards uh, to engage that, that whole uh, posterior chain and everything like that. And so um, just, I guess, something I've never really thought about. Um, do you have this plan written out? And like, I know you talked about the high, for perform- high performance team, but is this like, a, okay, well, here is it's this poster on the wall. Look, we're on step one right now. We're on step two. How does that work for you guys? So we meet twice a day uh, in the morning. We call it a stand up. Some people call it a huddle. And it's really just a five minute recap of or preparation, looking into what today's going to look like. So if we have athletes that aren't training in full or training full, where are they at in either their stage of rehab or physically, which space are they going to be in? So if they're on the field, how long do we anticipate they'll be on there to then ship to the gym? If they're not on the field yet, what does their off legs conditioning look like? And how does that evolve around us? That way guys don't end up standing in a space saying like, all right, well, where am I going next or what should I be doing? So everybody at the start of the day, is on the same page for for where players should be. And we talk about healthy players as well and things that we're monitoring or, or tests that we may have flagged. And then at the end of every day, we kind of have a 30-minute roundup of that day. All right, did we hit the, the goals or the metrics that we were aiming for today? Are there things that we fell short on? Were there gaps in our process? You know, fluidity is always one of the biggest things. So can we get guys flowing from one thing to the next to the next without dead time in between? Cause one dead time is wasted time, but two inevitably players are going to end up cooling down and, and then you've almost got to reprep and repotentiate them for the next thing. So that's how we kind of cover our bases. And then we also have a, I think it's Microsoft teams is the platform that we use, but these prospective loading profiles I was talking about, everybody has access to those we're updating those on a daily basis. So if, you know, Baker, one of our other athletic trainers or, or, or Pete, Adam, our performance specialists are curious about where guys at or where he's going over the next one or two weeks, they can hop on that spreadsheet, kind of get a glimpse of, of what it looks like, what our goals and focuses are for each day. And then are we on track? Have we overshot? Have we undershot? I, I think the other biggest thing that I still struggle with. So I know there are other athletic trainers uh, that that do as well as you take all this time to plan things. And when you don't execute it perfectly, this is where things become an art. It's not just a science. So for us, we look at goals as, as things we're going to hit and we've got a process to get there, but from their data and loading on the field, it's a budget. If, if I go, you know, 200 meters over on their high speed running today, we're just going to find ways to gradually reduce that over the next days. But at least we've, we've got targets of what we're aiming for. And this is where 
you know, to your credit, this gets really difficult in the secondary school setting when it's maybe just you and a strength coach, or it's just you. So kind of evolving that to what it looks like in, in your setting. And then how do you educate, inform, include, and empower not only the people that you're working with, the athletes, but also the other members of what your team looks like in your setting. So strength coaches, coaching staff, et cetera. Yeah. So here at Pasadena High School, we have two full-time athletic trainers and we currently have two University of Houston Master of Athletic Training students. So that's been an amazing opportunity to kind of work together and say, hey, can you handle this? Or, hey, you know, you create a plan there. But even in even in that, just the um, the plan of, okay, uh, this is our first semester with them. And so I didn't have a plan for what we were going to do with our first year or second year, how we were going to hand off responsibility to them because we're just going to like, okay, well, let's just see what happens. Well, I missed a big opportunity with them in – not being able to like, okay, well, this is what we're going to give you this, this, and this, and this, and this is how this is going to work. And so I think that having a plan is really good. I know here at Pasadena High School, we use uh, Google like as a, as a school. And so I can create a Google sheet that has a plan. Say, okay, well, this is what you're going to do Monday and Tuesday, or this is what you're going to do here. And I can share that with the athlete. Mm-hmm. I can share that with the coach if need be. We also use rank one as our EMR. And that has a section nice. where we can write a note to coach and, you know, that way they can kind of be on the same page, which they may or may not see because, you know, it's sent via email and, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, it's an extra step. Yeah. I, I just want to, I want to kind of focus on what would you do if you were by yourself and, and how would you implement some of these soccer specific or on-field specific uh, RTB programs if you were solo? Without a strength coach, you're solo. I I, I want to say we've almost done this before. The Major League Soccer's come a long way. I'm I'm uh, approaching a decade in it. But when we first started, it was just one ath- or two athletic trainers and one strength and conditioning coach. At least at the, the team that I was at. Um, now staffs are massive. You've got other sports scientists, performance specialists, etc. But even then, our uh, three professionals, if you want to call them, two ATs and a strength coach. It, your your athlete to professional or profession ratio is still one to ten. It's nothing what you guys are de- are dealing with in in your setting with the amount of sports and and athletes that you're covering. But one of the things that that I did that early on to try to loop people in, and obviously we we were still fortunate not to have to hand players stopwatches and saying here's your runs, but I created a PowerPoint document and I still have that one and I still update it probably on a weekly basis with new ideas or new ways to accomplish things. But um, I'm a big visual person. So if I was in that secondary setting, it's, hey, here's our goals today. Whatever, uh, you know, kind of illustration you want of that. Here's how we're going to accomplish them. These are the drills that that I would like you to do. Um, if it's the athlete, you're probably unfortunately giving them a stopwatch and, or maybe you're in a place that you've got five or six that are grouped together, even if they're in separate sports that they all need similar work to kind of complete their needs assessment and their, their loading and running profile that you can tag those guys together or girls. Um, I work in male sports, so I tend to, to operate with guys more often than not. Um, but it's, it's part of that education empowerment piece. Um, but as a visual person, I need to see what I'm doing. And hopefully that would also loop in the coaches and engage them a bit more because they can say, all right, these are the drills that I know I need to run. They can give 
um, you feedback if I was in that setting, I'd, I'd crave some of that feedback as well of, hey, this is what they do in a game. Can we tweak this this exercise or this drill that you want them to do to make it more applicable to, to what they're doing? And so that's probably, I, I got to imagine, the most difficult part is having numerous athletes, numerous sports, different stages. But if you kind of have some of those set drills that you like with and without whatever their um, ball or, or tool of their sport looks like, I, I would hope that that would make it a little bit better. Have you, um, do you have any secrets to share for, for those that, that work in similar settings as you, or even stuff that we could incorporate in ours when we're stretched in? No, I think you said it before, you, you know, you have a plan, you have a written plan and you can have a generic one um, and say, okay, well, these are, these are soccer specific things that we need, we know we need to incorporate. And so like our partnership with Houston Methodist, they have the concussion RTP. Well, they have a soccer specific one, a volleyball specific one. And, you know, just looking at those drills um, and just saying, okay, well, this, this is what they're going to need to do. This is how we're going to get there. If you have that written out and you save it in a, like I said, in a Google doc, a Google sheet, then you can easily copy paste and put somebody else's name on that and say, okay, well, here's the plan. Here's what we have to work through. And then, and I know that a lot of ACL stuff and surgeries have changed to a criteria based RTP rather than a timeline based RTP because, Hey, yeah, you need to be able to walk without crutches before we can start running. Even if you're six weeks instead of four weeks or whatever it is. Um, and so again, having those things, okay, well here, these are the steps that we need to work through and then they can see that. And, and just like you said, I think it, it may have been before we started the, the podcast recording, it may have been just an Instagram live. We talked about, you got up early and ran it's, you know, and, and I listen to Jocko a lot and it's about talk about discipline equals freedom. And if you can create that discipline to where you have a bunch of generic handouts or even, you know, pretty sports specific generic handouts, then that would help because then you can say, well, here's a plan. Let's follow this. And then once the craziness settles down, then you can say, okay, well, let's take a look at how are you doing on this? How are you doing on this? Um, because there's times where we'll have 30 people in here after school and it's all we can do to, you know, get them signed in or just to say hello right, during that one hour, one hour time frame. <clears throat> so I think, uh, I think looking at the plans that people have, and then like you said, keep just keeping it simple, um, doable and communicating that. And if you have a projector in your athletic training room or classroom or a TV, you can have that PowerPoint scrolling automatically. You can set it up to, to just run as a loop and then, okay, well, this is this exercise. This is, okay, well, it'll be back on in one minute if I forgot what to do. Um, that may possibly help because then you're not having to, yep. well, no, here, let me stop at what I'm doing and show you this. Okay, yeah, look, just look at the video. This is this exercise, you know, of your, your favorite ones. Or um, Zach Turner created a YouTube video playlist and then created a, a PowerPoint, not a, power, a Word document that has the the exercise, the instructions, and then a QR code that, that links to the YouTube playlist and says, well, here, these are ways you can take care of your shins or all the track athletes. Here, here it is. Y'all just take a picture of that or scan that right now, save it. Um, those things are really good. So if you're looking for that, then uh, check out Zach on Twitter. It's Turnbomb, something like that. Um, and so you can check out that for that specific thing. But I think just having those things readily, easily available, that's going to be the best way for somebody in, in my shoes to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and kind of close it out on the Zoom and then we'll continue on the Instagram live for just a little bit. 
uh, and talk there. So, um, again, we're going to stay on Instagram live if you're with us on Instagram live, but if you're on the podcast listening later, then just check that out or, um, we'll, we'll see what happens with the, with the new audio recording over here. So Tyler, someone wants to get a hold of you, maybe wants to take a look at your, uh, RTPs. What's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you? You can always hit me up on social media. My my wife has has gotten on me recently about it because I was terrible in the past. So that's at TC Knight22. Or um, I'm always a proponent of giving out my personal information. So my email address is T Knight, that's T-K-N-I-G-H-T, A-T-C at gmail.com. So would love to connect with you about anything we've spoken about, questions you'd have. Um or some critical feedback if you've got that as well, because uh, that's that's also the best way to learn. So um, however I can assist or, or pick your brain as well, because I'm sure there's something that somebody's doing somewhere that that we could incorporate into our daily practice that that would make a big benefit to what we're doing. All right. So real quick, we got a bunch of people joining us on Instagram. I was going to shout out a couple of says Jan Sabakininski, um, it says Kitman NYCFCA, the best in the business. Saw Danny Buckholt. She was a former Dobe athletic trainer student, and she works now here in the in the Greater Houston area. Um, Camille Jazawai, sorry, Jazwiak. I should have chose easier ones. The painted cougar. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, Camille. A few of these guys are Polish players. <laughs> There you go. Anti 14 Witter, Alex, uh, Joe Sabatini, he works with me here in Houston. Uh, Dr. Aaron Hassler, I mentioned earlier, Kepi Kid, you talked about. Um, That's your godson. La Muerte, CTL, FC, Fish Stronger, CPR. Uh, a lot of people kind of check in and join us on Instagram Live. I just want to make sure I shout them out there. So for Jeremy, Tyler, and Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap.